Wow, great truth and great comfort in that song. And I wonder if uh, our monthly memory verse speaks into reasons why there is great peace and great comfort when we're in the presence of the one who loves us and has laid down his life for us. Let's say that verse together. It's our verse for January. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Exodus 24, 25. We are continuing our study through the book of Exodus today. I just love this narrative. It is beautiful. It is powerful. I'm so excited to be able to walk through it together uh, this season. And this morning, as we enter chapters 3 and 4 of Exodus, I wonder... As I look around this room, perhaps those who are with us online, is there any in here who feel as though they have been called to something, chosen for a task that you never asked for, don't really understand, and or feel very unequipped to perform? Perhaps a task like parenting teenagers, right? (laughs) Or something along those lines. But I think as we Consider where we're at in our own personal journeys and perhaps as a corporate church in the world that God has planted us, we can all wrestle or we have all wrestled with these very thoughts and these very questions. And what we're going to find today in our text as we turn to Exodus chapters 3 and 4 is that Moses is wrestling with some very similar thoughts. And very similar questions. This is a marvelous yet apprehensive calling. The ultimate deliverer, not yet officially named in Exodus, is calling out his little deliverer, Moses. And Moses is scared. He's uncertain. And he feels ill-equipped for the task. How would he respond And in our own faith journeys, how do we respond? As God called Moses, so too does he call his disciples who are in the world today. And often we find ourselves in the similar position as Moses. We may not be necessarily excited about God's calling. Maybe we are a bit apprehensive, maybe feeling inadequate, insecure about the work he has given us to do in the spaces that he has sent us. And the places that he has planted us. And yet, God intends to use us. He does. And he uses Moses and the rest of the people of the Old and the New Testament. And so too today does he use his people to accomplish his purposes in this world. He doesn't need us. He's fully capable of bringing deliverance on his own accord, but in his love. And as our faithful covenant partner, he chooses to work in and through us for his good pleasure. And what we discover today is that once we know our God, in other words, once he's revealed and identified himself to us, then our response to his calling and purpose for our lives becomes an integral part of our relationship with him. A relationship that we hope is blossoming 
and growing throughout our lives, one that requires faith. As one of the themes of the scriptures trumpet to us, the just shall live by faith. Still, at the beginning of Exodus and this narrative, what did Moses' faith look like? And then on a parallel track, what does our faith look like when God calls us to big and scary things? Can we say that we're walking by faith? And if we say that we are, what are the landmarks that should be present in our lives? These questions and more come forth in our text today. Exodus chapters 3 and 4, if you have your Bibles in your hands or on your devices, now is the time to turn them on. And before we dive back into the sands of the ancient Near Eastern world, let's take a moment and ask God to help us with our study of his word today. Father, we turn to you now and we are thankful that we know you are alive, you are active, you are working because you are with us. And you know, Lord, you know the struggles that each and every one of us in this room have carried in here today. You know the victories that we experienced this past week in our lives. You know the depths of grief and sadness. You feel our loss and our heartache. You are with us in the high and the low. And God, you have called us. You have chosen us. You've called us out of this world and you've appointed us to a great task. One that corporately feels very scary and individually feels a bit overwhelming. In many ways, we can see our own selves in Moses' struggles. And so as we turn to your word today, we endeavor to learn from his example. We want to glean from it. And we trust that your spirit will use this time in your word to shape us, transform us, and mold us into the image of your son, Jesus. Father, our desire is to look more like him today than yesterday. Help us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 6 to start. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priests of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. He looked and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not being consumed. So Moses thought, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And God said, do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This was not the first time that God had appeared by flame to one of his people. 
Again, as referenced before, Exodus is filled with chimes that echo to us from the previous book of Genesis. And in many ways, Exodus itself is an account of new beginnings, a fresh start, a new people not yet formed, and at this point, not even yet freed. God is calling and freeing a people unto himself. He is forming them as a nation, an act that will be, in a way, supernaturally natural. And that God is going to act in miraculous ways through his creation to bring about his redemption and the restoration of his people. And the first order of business was to name and call out his chosen deliverer. And so God appears here as a flame in a bush that is not consumed. God with us in the fire, never consumed. Imagine yourself tomorrow on your way to work or wherever you're going, in the car, on your walk, just going about your business, and all of a sudden, a flaming tree or bush that's not being consumed. It would catch your attention, right? would certainly catch mine. Well, it caught Moses is here. It's interesting. All that this bush holds within it. A representation of the presence of God. God being right there. But also an image of God's people, the Hebrews. Always seemingly under persecution. But never being consumed. Perhaps... We're not surprised as we look into the text that we see Moses working as a shepherd. Remember, he's a fugitive. And it's interesting, he's guiding sheep. And maybe a foreshadowing of the people that Moses would soon be guiding through the wilderness. And Moses intends to investigate the bush. I hope you would intend to do the same thing. Maybe we'd be too afraid of it. Maybe we'd want to run. And Moses is brave. He draws near, and from the bush, God calls out to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses' response at the end of verse 4 is insightful, isn't it? Here I am. Here I am. You found me. I'm right here. Moses is present, but is he available and ready to be used? There's a difference. And through this fiery bush, God will speak. And his words introduce us to another theme that begins to reveal itself in Exodus. It's One that at first glance may appear to contrast with the theme of God's closeness, but as we work through, we'll see that it does not. It is the theme of God's holiness. Though he is close, though he is with us, he is not approachable as others may be. Verses 5 and 6 give us evidence of this new theme of God's holiness or purity emerging in the narrative, and 
Speaking of this, one Old Testament scholar, his name's John Salhammer, he said the following, quote, God is holy, yet intensely personal, end quote. And we'll see those two themes mingling together as we work through Exodus. Before Moses is able to come into the presence of God, he must leave the sand and the dust and the dirt from his sandals behind. And when he sees God, verse 6 tells us that he hides his face because he was afraid to look upon him. It's likely here that Moses is bowing, hiding his face into the ground, refusing to look any longer into the fiery intensity of the bush. He knows there is something about this encounter that within him he knows he is in the presence of greatness beyond his wildest imagination. And Moses' encounters with God throughout the book will serve as landmarks. Every time Moses encounters the Father, he is significantly changed or altered. And the kind of fear that is indicated in verse 6 is a, is a kind of fear that, friends, we can take with us into our lives every single day. It's a type of surrender, a type of humility. It's an acknowledgement and awareness that the creator and the sovereign king who rules and reigns is with us, but he is not like us. In some ways, yes, but not in every way. And our proper posture before him is worship all. And wonder. I wonder about this sometimes in our own journey, in our own spiritual walk with the Lord. Have we lost that sense of awe and wonder? Have our imagination sometimes grown stale? Has our curiosity grown cold? Moses is fearful. He's in awe and wonder. And why God has chosen to reveal himself in this manner to Moses is significant. And verses 7 and 10 give us direction concerning this revelation. As we have rehearsed together in our monthly memory verse already, God has seen, he has heard, and his response is to come down and deliver. But not just to deliver as he reveals in the second part of verse 8, but to bring his people up from that land. A land that is both, to a land that is both good and spacious, to a land that is flowing with milk and honey, to the region of promise. What follows next is Moses' own great commission, and it comes rather suddenly in verse 10. God simply says this, imagine, you meet God in a burning bush, he gives you all of these instructions, tells you all the things that he's going to do. And then the next thing that he says is, now go. Now go. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. Moses has found himself in a humble position. He was a slave, turned into a royal turned to a fugitive in his own country of birth, becoming a wandering shepherd now in a foreign one. 
And verses 11 to 13 present us with a line of questioning that demonstrate Moses' own insecurity and apprehension towards this great commission he has just been given. Look at verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God replied, Surely I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you and they will serve God at this mountain. Moses said to God, if I go to the Israelites and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? In response to Moses's first question regarding his own identity, all that God determined Moses needed to know was that he was not alone. God was going with him. And God would go with Moses in power. Church, that same truth applies today. We are not alone. We just came through the holiday, the Christmas season, and the theme of the season, Emmanuel, what does it mean? God with us. And he is with us. And when God is with us, he's not giving us timidity, fear, uncertainty. He's giving us power. He's with us in power. But it's much less about who we are and so much more about the power of the one who inhabits us, empowering and equipping us for the calling that he has placed on us in this world. Again, friends, we, we are children of the living God who has called and adopted us into his family. He has promised to go with us and to be with us in the work that he has called for us to do. And if we believe that this is the reality, do our lives reflect this faith? Are we living by faith in this truth? Moses' wrestling with God parallels our own wrestling in many ways. If we are honest with ourselves, from time to time, we've all wrestled with God and the calling on our lives. We all struggle to live out this belief that God is with us always. And the evidence of this is manifested in the same way that we see Moses struggling here. Sometimes we lack faith. So what do we do? What are the habits that we pick up? We begin to question. We doubt. We complain. We grumble. It's kind of like complaining, only louder. It's like we can complain in our mind about something. Grumbling starts to come out of our lips. We're apprehensive sometimes. Sometimes we fear. It's scary. Sometimes when we, we go when we should wait. Other times we wait when God has clearly said, go. We struggle like Moses is struggling here. Moses has not yet trusted the call. And we can relate because his calling, like our calling, seems like an impossibly big undertaking, right? I mean, there is a way that every one of us have individually been called of God, but there's also a way that as a church, we're corporately called 
of God to the same thing. God has called every one of us here to life as aliens and sojourners in this world, living by faith, motivated by love, and holding on to the great hope that because God is with us, he will work through us to shine as light and have effect as salt in the places that he has sent and planted us. And within this calling, all of those who identify as his disciples, women and men, have been commissioned to make disciples, to baptize, to teach all things that he's instructed, to go into all the world. And this is scary. I, friends, I get it. It's scary for me. This is terrifying. Let's just be honest. Because the world is often a very hostile, violent crooked and depraved place. It just is. And so we, like Moses, wrestle with God and we struggle with both our corporate and our individual callings. We might ask the similar question that Moses asked. Who am I, God, that you would call me to something like this? But then Moses' second question. In verse 13. And who are you? There's God in the burning bush. And God's response is loaded with implications related to both his identity and his nature. Look at verses 14 and 15. Moses says, who are you? God said to Moses, who am I to tell them? Moses said to him that you are. And God said, I am that I am. And he said, you must say this to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, you must say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial from generation to generation. God's response to Moses contrasts with Moses' sense of inadequacy. If Moses feels unqualified, ill-equipped, and inadequate for what God has called him to, then what Moses needed to know right now was the self-existent, wholly qualified, fully equipped, and ever-adequate God of creation was with him. I am speaks to God's eternal self existence the reality of never needing to be dependent on anything or anyone else but himself the repetition of that i am that i am speaks to his eternal presence and the words i am speak to his divine being he is the supplier of all breath of all life of all existence and this very I am would accompany his chosen deliverer into the land of Egypt to redeem and to free his people who were in bondage. And God goes on to give further instruction in some of the ways the people, though in their captivity, have been able to maintain some sense of societal structure. Moses was to go into Egypt. He was to call the leaders and to make them aware of what God was intended to do. And God tells Moses in verse 18 that the elders will listen. 
He tells them that they're going to listen and that they will go with him to the Pharaoh, that Moses does not have to do this alone. And friends, maybe that's the reason that so often in our calling, we feel so afraid. Because maybe so often we feel so alone. Life can feel and be very lonely in seasons. Especially in particular seasons. And can we hold on to that truth in those seasons? Can we cling to that reality when we feel like we're alone and we have a sense of loneliness in this world that God has not abandoned us. That he is still with us, still working, still ready to use, to work through. And he has called us to great and wonderful things. Moses doesn't have to do it alone. God has chosen others to be party on this adventure with him. I love Lord of the Rings. Some of you might love that movie. Some of you might love that series, J.R.R. Tolkien, the books, the movies. What a wonderful band of people that were drawn together to go on the adventure with Frodo. God doesn't call us to do this alone, friends. He gives us people to go with us. And then God reveals to Moses that the Pharaoh is not going to listen. The people will, but the Pharaoh won't, even under the threat of force. So in verse 20, God indicates that he will strike Egypt with all of his wonders before the captives are released. And in the final two verses of chapter 3, he promises that not only will the people be set free, but they will not leave Egypt empty-handed. This is marvelous. That they are going to take with them to the wilderness Egyptian silver and gold, clothing and other house items, in a way plundering their very oppressors as they leave the land. And so, we might imagine in this burning bush encounter, God and Moses huddled in the wilderness, and God telling Moses all that he was going to do, revealing himself to Moses, assuring him that he was going to go with him, that he wasn't going to be alone, and guaranteeing him that he would be outrageously victorious over the Egyptians. And at the end of the huddle, when God says, ready, break, we should expect that Moses is sprinting to the line of scrimmage, ready to snap the ball and execute the play. That's not what happens. <laughs> I mean, if my coach guaranteed me that the play that he gave me in the huddle was going to work and be successful no matter what the enemy tried to do, I would be running to the line of scrimmage with great confidence. <laughs> not Moses. And maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. This is a big calling. <laughs> but let's not be too hard on Moses. Because again... In so many ways, we too are just like him. Look at chapter 4. Moses answered again, 
And if they do not believe me or pay attention to me, but say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said, what's in your hand? Moses said, a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it to the ground and it became a snake. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and grab it by the tail. Sorry, that's where I'm tapping out. <laughs> nope. That's <laughs> where I'm running and hiding my face in the ground. <laughs> so he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And I wonder today, what has God placed in our hands that he could mightily use to demonstrate to a not yet believing people that he is with his people in power? For Moses... It's his shepherd's staff, and his staff would soon become a snake. And again, Genesis, yes, I know, but in Genesis 3, it was a snake that caught Adam and Eve by the proverbial tail. And here again, we find a snake. But this time, as God is working through Moses' obedience, albeit reluctant, the snake is now controlled and manipulated by the hand of man, a hint of redemption, a new start, a fresh beginning. But the snake also held implications related to Egypt, as the serpent was a common image of Egyptian deity. It was an identifier of a powerful god, lowercase g. One that the pharaohs and other royalty would wear around their head as a sign of deity. The God of the Hebrews could work through his people to prove his own power over the serpents of Egypt. And it wouldn't just be Moses' staff, but God could also demonstrate his power through Moses' hands. God, I don't have any tools. Of our hands. God can do mighty things through our hands. And as the account continues, God asks Moses, put your hand into your robe. And when he puts it in, it's clear. And when he pulls it out, it's diseased with leprous, white. God would demonstrate that he is quickly able to purify and restore that which is quickly defiled. So when Moses brings it back out of his robe again, it's healed. It's clear. And then a third sign to Moses. Wouldn't these three powerful signs, wouldn't we think that these would be enough to convince Moses? The third miracle included a foreshadowing of a time when God would turn the water of the Nile into blood. It's recorded in chapter 4, verse 9. Take a look. And if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to you, then take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground. The water you take out of the Nile 
will become blood on the dry ground. The sign also foreshadows the reality that the Israelites' freedom would not come without the shedding of blood. Blood would cry out from the ground. The Nile, which was a symbol of life and prosperity, would be transformed to a symbol of death and defeat. And all of these signs, evidence of a powerful and a divine calling, and Moses is still not yet ready. Watch the interchange. Verse 10, Moses says to God, I'm not a good communicator. Verse 11, God says, I gave you your mouth and I will speak through it. Now go and I will teach you what to say. God, I don't know enough. I can't reach those people. I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how to communicate with them. I don't understand them. God doesn't say, go, learn a bunch of stuff, hide away, gain all this knowledge, and then once you feel like you know enough and can communicate them, with them, then go. No, God says to Moses, go now, and I will teach you as you go. He's going to teach him what to say as he goes. Verse 13, Moses, isn't this great, says, send someone else. Isn't there anyone else? Do you ever feel that way? God, there must be someone else. I certainly cannot do this. Whoever you wish. Moses just doesn't want to do this, friends. He just doesn't want to do it. God, now presented in the text as very angry, the burning bush, <laughs> wouldn't want to anger him. How about Aaron? The Levite, your brother. See, God's not letting Moses off the hook. Uh, sometimes I just want to get off that hook. I'm like the fish, right? I'm just that fish on the end of the hook just trying to jump off and get back into the water where I feel comfortable and safe and I know I can breathe. Because it feels so uncomfortable out of the water. In the hands of God, Friends, it's not always comfortable, and it doesn't always feel safe, and there may be seasons where we want to be let off the hook. But God can use us. He can work through us, and he does. Haven't you found in your life, sometimes as I look back over the testimony of my life, I've seen that when I am the most uncomfortable when I am the most outside of my comfort zone, that's when God is working most powerfully. Maybe perhaps it's because in those moments I'm truly living out that principle that Paul talks about in the book of Corinthians, that his strength is perfected in my what? Weakness. You see, when I'm uncomfortable... I feel my weakness. I see it right before me. Every day. Here's Moses. God's not letting him off the hook. 
And this back and forth, it just goes back and forth. And, and Moses never says, he never says it. You won't find it in these chapters. In chapter 3 or 4, you won't find it. Okay, God, I'll go. He never says it. It's ironic, isn't it? To me, what's ironic is that Moses later, in the wilderness, with the people, is going to pray this prayer about why God would give him such a stubborn and stiff-necked people to lead. <laughs> Be careful, right? They became like Moses. <laughs> he was leading himself in so many ways. Oh. Isn't it true that there's so many things about our own children sometimes that frustrate us because they look and sound just like us? Hard. But God is not beholden to our obstinance. Nor is he beholden to the stubbornness of a nation. He works despite human opposition. Moses goes back to his father-in-law and begrudgingly asks if he can be released to return to Egypt. And in verse 18 of chapter 4, we find a contrast between Jethro's response and Pharaoh's eventual response. When Jethro says to Moses, go in peace. Moses will go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not going to say, go in peace. But his father-in-law lets him go. And as Moses is going, God gives him further details regarding the response of the Pharaoh. Look in verse 21 of chapter 4. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the wonders I have put under your control. But I will harden his heart. And he will not let the people go. You must say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord has said. Israel is my son, my firstborn. And I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But since you've refused to let him go, I will surely kill your son, your firstborn. Now there have been volumes of literature written on what it means. The implications of God hardening someone's heart. Much theological literature from many different scholars, varying perspectives on this matter. We will not cover it all today, I promise. We'd be here a long time. But maybe a few reflections, three reflections regarding God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart. First, a theological principle. As our creator, who God is, God in his divine providence, has the right to make vessels that are both for noble and ignoble purposes. He alone is sovereign over his creation. If you want to see further exploration on that truth, I would invite you to read Romans 9 this week. It's a wonderful chapter that gives further insight into this principle. Paul expounds on it in this letter. What God does, he does for his glory alone. And what he is doing here in hardening Pharaoh's heart 
is going to advance his name and his power among the nations. Second, perhaps an application that we can pull from the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is that at times we might realize that we are walking by faith when we face resistance and opposition from those who oppose God. What is one of the ways that Moses is going to know that God is working and that God is actually with him in power? One of the ways was going to be Pharaoh's resistance. And it's hardening. Moses was going to face opposition in order to know that he was doing what God had called for him to do. And sometimes, friends, I'm guilty of this. Maybe you are too. We're often quick to give up when we face opposition or pushback. Sometimes when we face critique and resistance, it can have a paralyzing effect on us. God is telling Moses that Pharaoh's opposition is actually a sign that God is with Moses and his people in power. And then finally, perhaps what strikes you uh, most difficult, maybe we can get over the, the, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and what that might mean. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more in our podcast series. It'll come out each month. We'll look in more depth at some of these details. But maybe the part that really grabs hold of you and disturbs you in those verses is the killing of the firstborn son. That's hard. That's really hard. Now, I want to remind us first of the earlier execution of orders that Pharaoh gave. Right? In chapter 1 of Exodus. Pharaoh was doing the same thing. Thing. And then if this feels or seems vindictive, I would ask this question. And again, these are questions I ask myself. We cannot answer some of these questions on this side of heaven, friends, but they're good questions for us to think through and wrestle with and dive into the word and eat, feast over seeking out answers. Who is it that gets to judge sin and wickedness in this world? Who alone has the final say on vengeance and wrath upon sin against humanity and God himself? In an ultimate sense, God is bringing judgment against Pharaoh for his own disobedience. For Pharaoh's disobedience, for the persecution of God's people, and for his unbelief that God had called his people out of Egypt. And the grievous death of these children, both the Hebrew and the Egyptian son, remind us of one of sin's dark and terrible consequences. And the reality, friends, that our freedom isn't free. Yes, that gift of salvation is freely given, but that gift didn't come without a cost. Redemption comes through the shedding of blood. It costs something. For those of us today who are here who know Jesus, who if you're listening today and you know Jesus, we know that it was his life laid down, his blood poured out and shed for our sins. 
you're listening today and you're here and you've never recognized your great need for Jesus. And you've never realized that work, that life that was laid down and that blood that was poured out so that we could be made right with God. Then make today the day that you bow your head, confess, turn, repent of your sin and find your salvation in Christ alone. He is mighty to save He was mighty to save in Exodus. He is mighty to save today. And salvation belongs to him. Now, we're going to skip verses 24 to 26 and cover them in in our podcast that's going to be released in a bit. We want to continue in verse 27 where God calls Aaron and tells him, Go meet with Moses in the wilderness. And from Aaron's end, it's a contrast to Moses's, right? There's no argument here. There's no debate. There's no questioning with God. God gives Moses a command. Look at verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron uh, went and brought together all the Israelite elders. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Who spoke? Who spoke in the text? Who spoke? Aaron. Who did the signs and wonders? More reluctance to Moses. God calls Aaron. Aaron, okay. He goes. And together with Aaron, Moses, and he do what the Lord had called them to do. And we should be encouraged to find out In verse 31, that the people believed when they heard that the Lord had attended to the Israelites and that he had seen their affliction, and they bowed down close to the ground. Not only did they believe, but their belief produced gratitude, leading to worship as they bowed to God, an expression of their faith in the work that he would accomplish through them to set their people free. As I reflected on these chapters, I believe that there's some takeaways that can be helpful insights to guide us when we're wrestling and struggling with the big and scary things that God has called us to today. Perhaps we are considering the calling of all believers that we looked at earlier to faithfully shine as light and have effect as salt as we go into the world, engaging the people that God brings into our lives with the good news of the gospel, but maybe... Maybe we're struggling today with our calling as a wife, or a husband, a son, or a daughter, a mother, or a father, a co-worker, a friend, a neighbor, or even our call as a faithful participant in the local body of Christ, the church. What can we glean from Moses' struggle when we struggle With our calling. First we can rehearse truth. What did we learn? God is with us. We are not alone. God has called me. By his spirit he will equip me. And empower me to do the work. That he is setting before me. And it is God who can sustain us. And give us the strength for what is ahead. And he will validate our words. And our actions. When they are aligned with his standard of righteousness. He will do that. 
But then, to remember our tools. God hasn't left us empty-handed. He's given us all tools. We all have the Spirit dwelling within us. We all have the Word of God in our hands. We all have the power to pray, to go before the Lord and intercede and seek His will. Some of us are really good at using our mouths. Yeah? Some of us are great at using our hands. Some of us, we're good at whatever we put our mind to. You guys are really annoying. <laughs> what are the tools that we've been given that God is using and can use even today to go into the world? Could be a business. Could be your business. It could be your ability to crunch numbers and hold things together. It could be your ability to be a great administrator or to care for people who are hurting or sick. It could be a tool of compassion or empathy to be able to walk along someone who's hurting or grieving. It could be the tool of music to be able to guide congregations and people to worship. It could be your tool of leadership to be able to take all that comes on in, in a role and to carry the weight and the burden. It could be a lot of different things. But the Spirit has empowered and equipped every one of us and let us not overlook which he has already given us to do the task that he called us to, even when that task seems too great. And then finally, friends, to rely on those who journey with us. Yes, reliance on God is our top priority, no doubt. That's first. Above all, we need to rely on God. But we can't ignore the reality that he's placed people in our lives who he is intending to work through and use as well, and those relationships are valuable and important, even essential, if we are to live out our calling here on earth. Moses didn't do it by himself. There's Aaron. There were the elders of Israel, and along the way, there will be even more. And for every one of us here today, who is the party that God has placed around you? Who's your Samwise? Who's your Gandalf? Who are those people that you can trust that speak into your life and carry you through the ups and the downs of all we've been called to today? Much to learn from Moses' example. Next week we continue in chapters 5 and chapter 6 of the Exodus narrative and as our team comes, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have promised to use it. Lord, we know it will never return void. We're thankful for the tools that you've given us, for the relationships that you've placed in our lives, for your presence with us, the reality that we never go alone. Lord, help us to be a people that walk by faith, motivated by love, hopeful, joyful, peaceful, performing the work that you've called us to today, tomorrow, and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.